Welcome to the After Action Report. I'm your host, Whiskey Tango, and today's After Action Report is on the critical nature of self-discipline. Now, we've talked about discipline on the show before, and specifically we talked about the hard work over time equals black belt execution. But today I wanted to bring in an expert on this subject to give you his opinion on this critical concept. So today I'm talking to a close friend and colleague of mine, Kevin Oliverte. Let's get started. So before we get started, I just wanted to give the audience a little bit of information about uh, Kevin. He's a retired chief master sergeant. His job while serving for 23 years was Tactical Air Control Party, or TACP. And he also spent two and a half years in the Space Force. But the majority of his time was in the Air Force Special Operations Command, and he is currently the president of Executive Action Group, providing expert consulting, and he also does leadership speaking engagements. But I think the most important credential that he has is he's an old friend of mine, and I'm super excited to have him on the show today. So, Kevin, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Danny. I appreciate the generous intro. And as you explained, I was the the first and probably the last TACP assigned to the Space Force. Uh, yeah. It was not by design and it'll probably never happen again, but uh, I did enjoy uh, that historic time where my, my last two years in the military were the first two years of the Space Force. And so it was, uh, you know, unexpected, but also historic uh, and, and full of good challenges and standing up an entirely new uh, branch of the military. But thanks for the intro. No, absolutely. And I think you're right. Definitely probably the last uh, TAC P. What an exciting way to end the career, too. I mean, that's such a crazy challenge. That's awesome. So I kind of wanted to start. I think it's important to start with like kind of definitions of words. So for our listeners, I mean, today we're talking about uh, discipline and really kind of more specifically like self-discipline, I think, is the area of focus, but really all aspects. And I've got a a definition that I wrote down here, but I don't want to share it with you quite yet. Cause whatever you say, I'm probably just going to end up agreeing with you and saying, that's what I wrote too. But <laughs> can you just kind of start, uh, and give our listeners, um, your definition of discipline? Yeah, that's, you know, this, this is a deep question, man. And, um, I think the, the truth is it's different for everyone. And so the definition I, I'll give you is, is my definition. Um, you know, there's a dictionary definition, of course, probably, um, that's useful for everyone, but I believe that discipline is very simple. Um, it's doing and it's following through. Uh, those, those are very simply said, but the reality is, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. It's very difficult to execute for a lot of people. Okay, a lot of a lot of people are uh, very challenged in in doing things, and um, doubly by following through on things that they said they would. In the military, it's easier because um, a lot of operations that require the necessary level of discipline um, are um, very high risk, and if we didn't do and follow through, there would be grave consequences. But in other parts of the military, outside of special operations, for example, uh, 
um, and certainly in the civilian sector where people are managing uh, day-to-day operations with substantially lower risk. The, the side effect of that, unfortunately, often is a much correspondingly lower level of discipline as well. People say they're going to do things and they do not. Um, and, and very often they don't even address the fact that they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Right. In the military, right. you and I know if I say I'm going to do something, I will. If, if it doesn't get done, um, I'll let you know in advance why it's not going to be done and what we'll do to rectify that. Or if I completely failed to do something I said I would, I will come back to you, address the fact that I made a mistake, and then tell you how I'm going to rectify it and what I'm going to do to prevent that from ever happening again. These are not common everywhere. Outside of special operations, these are not common in conventional forces across the military. And they are certainly not common outside the military. And so I think that for um, anyone who has a high level of discipline or a prior military member who um, can make use of that after their military career, it can be very lucrative uh, because there are a lot of environments where that's useful. In my own experience as well, I'll tell you that um, extreme levels of discipline, you know, this is, I'm good, bring me back around if I'm headed down an area you don't want to go down yet. But in my experience, and there are other qualities that this applies to as well, but extreme levels of discipline can highlight insecurities in people who lack discipline. And so there are areas of our life where you and I might be very disciplined, okay, whatever that might be. And that changes over time. There's there's seasons in our life, right? There's times you and I can look back and remember where we were very disciplined about our PT. Our physical fitness was top priority. Okay, and then and then in different seasons of our lives, there's other things that become top priorities. But when we exercise extreme discipline in any of those areas, somebody who's in our area of existence or operations who might see that and they lack discipline in the same area, it typically uh, is revealed through their insecurities and then they start to cope with it. And then you'll really know if they're vocal about it and they'll start letting you know. They'll either try to bring you down a couple notches and try to talk you out of doing or following through or make you feel okay with doing less. But ultimately, that's just a method of them making themselves feel better. Yeah, no, I think you hit uh, a ton of good things. So I was trying to uh, scribble as you were writing. Um, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that I wanted to say in the intro, but I didn't, uh, but it's not necessarily intuitive to the military. I think people think that it is. Um, and even me coming to the military, I knew I lacked discipline. And I knew that it was good to have that discipline imposed on me, but it didn't necessarily give me self-discipline. And then targeted areas, I think, is another good point that you brought up. Uh having targeted areas of discipline because I think it's easy to be 
hey, I care about my physical fitness and therefore it's easy for me to be disciplined in that. Or I care about my appearance and therefore it's easy for me to have a a disciplined diet because how I look is more important to me than what I eat. Um, so I think it exactly what you're saying. I think it's easy to target areas and, and the, the definition. And, and then I thought it was also very um, interesting is that uh, we can have our discipline under attack by other people that feel insecure. A hundred percent true. And and so the, yes, I, very close to the, the, what I wrote down, but uh, discipline is training yourself to do things you dislike because you know, the payoff is worth it. It's kind of what I wrote. Like that was my third grade uh, version, but I think a hundred percent, you know, doing and following through is, is critical on that discipline model. It is because d- discipline, um, in my opinion, this is the way I look at discipline. Okay. And we're talking about, um, the discipline it takes to do things and follow through on things. Okay. I want to separate that from, um, disciplining. Okay. Totally unrelated subject. Um, but discipline to me, the way I look at it, it's a resource. Okay. It's something that I have to be aware of and I have to manage. Um, every day when I wake up, I have a finite amount of discipline. Okay. And the amount that I wake up with is not just based on, uh, the start of that day. It's actually based on what occurred the night before, what occurred the day before, week before, month before, year before. Okay. For example, you get a terrible night's sleep. Are you likely to uh, get out of bed the first time your alarm goes off at 4 a.m.? Maybe not, okay? Because it takes discipline to get out of bed at 4 a.m. when your alarm goes off. If you have goals that you want to accomplish in the morning before the rest of the family wakes up and the world comes to life, okay? Um, That takes discipline. Um, Because it's a resource like any other resource, that means that it can be used up. And there are certain things that we experience throughout our day that take varying levels of resource, uh, I'm sorry, um, discipline. Now, there are things that can put discipline in the bank, okay? There are ways that we can fill our discipline tank up. And I think that's very necessary, especially as leaders, as uh, spouses and parents, we have to know what that is for us individually and do it as often as we can. It's our responsibility, actually, because all day things are going to take discipline from us. And, and just as you described earlier, you know, some things are really going to tax that hard. Uh, you know, there might be certain people that we see at work that we do not like interacting with. And every time we interact with them, it takes discipline to not say uh, certain things, okay? Yes. But, but every time you're exercising discipline, that needle is going down, okay? Now, the reason why it's important to be aware of that is we, we should ideally and you know life throws curveballs at us but on a day-to-day basis um, at this point in our lives 
we should be mostly aware of what we're going to do any given day. And we want to be aware of which of those tasks or events are going to require what level of discipline and then structure our day accordingly. Typically, we want to arrange the most discipline demanding events as early in the day as possible. Okay, because that's when our discipline is going to be the highest. But if we do that knowingly, and it's something that demands a lot of discipline, we should not then plan on doing anything that demands much discipline thereafter. The rest of the day is, is uh, uh, you know, shallow water the rest of the day. Um, because if we put demanding events or tasks towards the end of the day when our discipline is low, we are unfortunately then at risk of making bad decisions. Okay. Um, and that happens all the time, right? For example, um, if somebody is really trying to watch what they eat, okay, mm -hmm. maybe they're, they're, they're counting their macros, for example, they might hit the mark all day until five o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, if they could just hold on for a couple more hours and go to sleep, they'd hit their goal. But they had a couple unexpected meetings at work and right. that really unsavory boss who came in and hammered them with some additional tasks and maybe an argument with their spouse and their kids had extra homework. And next thing you know, they're hunched over the counter at six o'clock at night, eating an entire bowl of cereal with a serving spoon. Right. Right. Um, and that happens, you know, and, and it's not just about food. When I was in my last few years as a senior enlisted leader, um, I looked at one of my responsibilities on a command team with the commander as guarding his discipline, because ultimately officers have the authority and legal uh, writ to make certain decisions that enlisted members do not. And what inevitably happens, you can look at your own military experience as well. I don't know why we do this, but people typically wait until the end of the day to deliver the commander bad news. Mm -hmm. Okay, probably because they think we're all going home anyway. I'll just get it out at the last minute and then we'll go home and I'll let it simmer all night. But what I knew was when people were delivering him bad news at the end of the day, he was in a position where he had to make unexpected decisions mm -hmm. at the end of the day when his discipline was low. Right. And so one of my responsibilities, as I saw it, was to run defense yeah. when I knew his discipline was no low. And so if I saw people coming towards the office with something that was time sensitive, um, I would make them run it through me first mm. okay, if it wasn't a private matter. And that allowed me to give him the time often until the next morning when his discipline was higher to receive that issue and then make a better, smarter, more disciplined decision around it. No, that's really good. Um, a couple things. So I got a question. I got a question that I want to circle back with, but I want to reiterate uh, a couple of really good points that you brought up. So discipline is resource neutral. I guess that's the term that we would probably use. So like 
you can't get more of it. You know, you could, you have a certain expenditure needle. Do you have a way to maybe uh, an understanding or events that you can do to sort of like refill that bar, but it is a resource neutral thing. Um, it's easier with a partner. And I think like how almost like an accountability partner, you know, somebody, yes. a gym bro, or, you know, you know, to make sure that you're going to the gym on time or, or even somebody to help, you know, as you described, protect your decision making process um, to help vet that out when his discipline is uh, maybe lower. It's really good. Um, and then the, the question that I wanted to circle back on was, so what advice would you give when, when people get to that five o'clock bender moment where they want to stuff their face with cereal? Like how, how do they, how do they get past it? We're in that, they're in that zero discipline model. Accountability partner. Uh, accountability, <laughs> individual accountability is the first thing because you, all of us should know at any given time how much discipline we have. Okay. If I'm having a bad day and I know my discipline is low, and somebody asks me to participate in something really unsavory, it's my responsibility, especially in the professional setting, to say, I can't, I, this, is not, this is not the right time for me to do that, okay? Right. Perhaps I'm happy to engage, but at a later date, okay? Right. Uh, there are some things where we don't have an option, right? Family matters, emergency crises, and typically... I do also think we all have the ability, we all have an override button, okay? But there's a cost to doing that as well, mm -hmm. okay? So, um, you know, you may be at that, that, that point in your day where you have no discipline left over and all you can think about is going home and going to bed, right? Yeah. Uh, but even for a non-PJ, maybe you see a um, terrible accident on the side of the road. Right. People are injured, okay? And you're the first person to witness it. How bad do you want to go to bed? Right. Do you just drive by, go home and go to bed? Or do you hit the override button, pull your car over, get out, render first, ra first aid until first responders get there, and you help any way you can? Now, if you hit the override button, now you're going into the negative on your resources, okay? Right, it's yeah. probably, you're, you're not only going to look forward to going to bed when you get home, but now you're probably going to uh, want to sleep even longer because when you are at the point of no discipline, you just put a, a, a large uh, amount of emotional and cognitive tax on yourself right. with, with really nothing to meet it with, okay? Not everybody can do that. Truth be told, there are some people in that analogy who might see a, a crisis and drive right by it. Mm. Okay. I, I believe that you and I are not those types of people, but they are, they're out there. Um, so I think it's our responsibility to know where we are on the discipline uh, spectrum at any given point and make responsible commitments around that. If you know you're running on empty, OK, um, you need to be honest with yourself and you, and probably the best thing to do is to isolate as much as possible. Even, for example, if your willpower is spent. And you get home at the end of the day and you find yourself this happens, you find yourself in an argument over who who did the dishes, whatever it is. Right. 
it's probably a time to just be honest with yourself and your spouse or whoever it is to say, listen, I got to be honest right now. I have, I, I have no discipline to have a healthy conversation right now. And this is probably going to go in directions. It doesn't need to. Okay. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll do the dishes, whatever it takes, but right now is not the time to engage uh, in any sort of conversation that requires any level of discipline if you know you're running on E. And so that's what I would say is know where you are. And if you don't have any at all, you probably need to isolate until you can get that needle back up towards full again. Right. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, you know, so the things that you talked about, delay, uh, isolate, I almost put run. <laughs> Uh, and then honesty, you know, if you get to that point, you, you know, that I think that that open and honest communication, Hey, I just, I can't have this conversation right now. You know, I just, I lack the discipline and tact, um, to have it in an appropriate way that's fair to you. Uh, so, yeah. you know, give me, give me a minute or, or, or maybe the rest of the day till tomorrow. And then let's talk about it. Uh, you know, and I think that's something that even, even, you know, my spouse and I have, have done better at is we're like, we're just not in the right headspace to have this discussion right now. Let's, let's wait. And then typically, you know, we come back 30, 40 minutes later, as long as we didn't throw any too hard to jabs and we're like, okay, you know, it's an easier, it's a much easier conversation to have exactly like you were describing. Yeah. And that comes with experience as well. I mean, you know, think about when we were working together 11 years ago, 12 years ago, you know, none of us were sitting around having conversations about discipline, individual discipline. We all had it right. to the necessary level. I mean, truthfully, you and I were managing the highest risk operations you can. I mean, we were literally doing military free fall dive operations, right. live shooting. These are extremely high risk operations. And so we were all exercising the necessary levels of discipline without putting a whole lot of conversation or thought into it. But that experience is very useful for, for me and for you as well. Right. Um, if we can look back on it, capture it, quantify it, and then translate it to what we're doing today. Right. But I want to I want to touch on something you said as well. Yes, discipline um, um, loves company. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, but that goes in both directions, and we right. we all need to be aware of that as well, because there are people who lack discipline in certain areas in their life, and they will try to justify their actions by bringing other people down to their level of discipline so that they feel they're not the only one doing it. Right. Definitely almost like a mystery, uh, misery loves company. And then the other yeah. thing, you know, having a good traveling companion and, you know, being set on the same destination of where you want to go, whether that be diet or physical fitness goals or sobriety or, or wherever that is that you're trying to, you know, that objective you're trying to meet, having a good traveling companion, I think is critical yes um, absolutely so no 100% so was was there a specific moment obviously you understand the critical nature of discipline and where it provides an important role in your life and you and you've sort of talked about translating it over to the civilian sector 
which uh, super pumped that you're on the retirement side. So it's good good to see good people doing successful things. But was there a specific moment when you decided or or made that translation in your head when you knew that discipline was so critical to succeeding? Um, <clears throat> I think I always I always knew that it was difficult. Uh, necessary and critical to succeed but i think there there was a point where i started to realize that my individual level of discipline was um high and desirable in other areas okay so years after you and i worked together i was a chief at afsoc headquarters i was the functional manager for all the tacps assigned to afsoc and i started going down the um group and command chief path and the first big um opportunity that i was presented was to be a deployed wing um senior enlisted leader of JASOAC uh, A, which is Joint Special Operations Aviation Component Africa. So I was deployed to Germany for six months, but we managed all of the special operations aircraft that were assigned across the entire continent of Africa, right? Massive. And, and I went down to Africa, the commander and I, um, every three or four weeks, we went on these uh, tours to, to see all the bases in different parts of Africa where we had aircraft and personnel. It was a joint organization. So we had um, people assigned from all the branches of the military. That was really the first time that I was still operating in special operations, but I was outside of what we know now as special warfare. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because up until that point, I spent my entire career around TACPs and PJs and CCTs and and SALTs and you know pilots, and here I was working now in what was really the aviation environment, and I was mm -hmm. basically the only ground guy there. Okay? Right, and that was a common question I got. People would say, "Why? Why do we have a ground guy?" as the senior most enlisted leader of an aviation unit. Right. And my, my response, my operational response to instill confidence in them was, well, I've spent my entire career integrating air operations to the ground scheme of maneuver. Right. So it only makes sense that you have a ground guy paired with a commander who's a pilot. Right. Okay, he understands the air, I understand the ground. Perfect combination. Right. But the reality is, in addition to that experience that I had, um, my discipline really started to stand out amongst a lot of, um, um, in, in that area and as compared to a lot of others who are operating in that area as well. And that's not to speak negatively of anybody right. and their discipline, but... I was so used to being in no fail environments that you right. and I have been in. Okay. When you're at 25,000 feet at night doing a hey ho operation and the ramp is opening. Okay. There you, there's no question whether or not you have all the discipline necessary to make the right decisions on your way out that aircraft. That's a right. no fail environment. And that's basically where I was brought up. So my uh, my discipline approach to making everyday decisions 
on much lower risk operations in that environment was the same. Right. And people really latched on to that. And I became quickly known uh, for, you know, as the chief who GSD'd the whole time I was there. Right. Everyone would say that's the guy who gets shit done. And to me, back to the original definition I gave you, what's discipline? It's doing and following through. And that was my approach is we're not going to say we'll do something we can't or won't. Okay, we're going to make responsible aviation commitments. And when we do that, barring weather or maintenance, we are going to make it happen. And then we're going to follow through with the customer to make sure that it was the way they wanted. And so that was the first time that uh, my individual discipline kind of revealed itself to me as something that was not common in other areas of the military outside of special operations. Now, when I came back from that deployment, um, I ended up PCSing to Colorado and I and. You know, it was kind of unexpected, but when I arrived there, the Space Force stood up, and then I was one of the first senior enlisted leaders of what is now known as a Delta, which is a a equivalent of an Air Force wing. Mm -hmm. And the same things applied. Okay, it was. It's not that everyone else was undisciplined. It's just that my discipline was basically relentless. If Mm -hmm. I said I was going to do something. It was it got done. It was just very. it was that simple, Um, but it was uncommon. And people really started to latch on to that across um, that community. And eventually I embraced it and that became my M.O. Um, And from there forward, um, that was basically how I branded myself was as um, uh, having extreme discipline. And as a leader that you could count on. No, I think it's really good um, that following through on intent, because oftentimes we'll have intent of like, you know, a New Year's resolution or something, but there's no real follow through or action behind it. And really, it's just a good idea uh, if there's no if, if it doesn't get followed through. You know, it's just like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> you know, like, That was a good thought. Uh, but, yeah, without the follow through and action, 100 percent. And it's good that you you know, or in that unique position outside your comfort zone. So you could really see the highlights of what you'd learned over time uh, in the AFSOC community and, and how important and not, and not necessarily common, like we talked about in the military, uh, as people may think of us as being, you know, uh, disciplined. So have you seen, I mean, you, uh, go ahead. I want to add something here. Have you heard of the Rendulic rule? I have not. I'm not familiar. Okay. Rendulic was the last name of a commander in the German military in World War II. He was tried for war crimes following World War II for inflicting unnecessary suffering across Europe. During uh, one point, he was leading his organization Uh, through these villages in Europe, and they were uh, uh, steaming through the villages so quickly, they were creating unnecessary casualties. Okay, people were being killed, they were destroying infrastructure, and he was tried for war crimes afterwards. And he was ultimately found 
not guilty because what they determined was he had been provided intelligence by his higher headquarters that he was being pursued by allied forces who were only a few days on his tail Mm. and they were a superior force. And so to preserve his organization, he was moving out as fast as he possibly could. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, moving through villages very quickly and inflicting casualties and damage to infrastructure, but in the interest of keeping his organization alive. Now, as it turned out, he was not being pursued at all. No pursuit. It was bad intelligence, Mm. but he was found not guilty. And since then, even in the United States, it's been termed the Rendulic rule. And in military courts of laws, what that means is when commanders are tried or being a decision they have made is being analyzed by a group of their peers, those peers are limited in the, uh, they're limited in their analysis of his decision by the information that they had at that time. Mm. Because it's really easy to to look back at someone's decision and say, that was a bad decision because of all these reasons. But if the individual didn't know all those things at the time, was it a bad decision at the time? And the reason why that's important, that rule still exists today. The reason why that's important is, although I think it's necessary and critical for all of us to be disciplined, There are times where things are happening around us that we do not see. We all have blind spots and there will be times where we make bad decisions. But I don't believe it's responsible for us to brush them off and say things like, you know, well, shit happens or, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, instead, I think the responsible thing to do is look back on it through the prism of the Rendulic rule to determine that may not have turned out well, but did I still make the best disciplined decision at the time with the information I had? And if the answer is yes, then have confidence in yourself, analyze all the other things that you learned later, and use that to your advantage in making future decisions. No, absolutely. I think that's a really good uh, rule. And, and a couple thoughts came to mind that, that, you know, hindsight bias, as you described, you know, looking back without current information and trying to inject that into past and, you know, past incidences, which I think is very, and I took a history class, not to too far down the rabbit hole, but, um, uh, and one of the things they talked about in the history class was histography, which is the study of history's histories. And it's basically how we inject uh, current narratives onto what was going on, you know, a hundred, 200, 300 years ago and try to make it, you know, about what, what's going on now. And there's even like different views of motives of why people did things, but really understanding the context of when that decision made, uh, was made was really important. So I think that's good. So have you seen a lack of self-discipline that, and I'm sure that you have, but the, uh, can you think of a specific moment that, of a lack of self-discipline that uh, yielded negative results, especially over time? In my own experience? 
It could be in I'll, your experience or somebody else's. Yeah, I'll share with you my own experience. I think that's really, um, in any case, that's the best answer always, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm just telling someone else's story. But um, there, there is, and and all of these things um, will come to the surface through this short story. But um, after you and I worked together, two assignments later, I was back at Fort Benning for my second assignment uh, to Fort Benning at the 17th uh, Special Tactics Squadron, which provided support to the 75th Ranger Regiment. And when I showed up there, I was a brand new senior master sergeant, and I was the operations superintendent at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Amber and I were married, and I had two kids under the age of two, Mm. back to back. So in itself, right there, there's a lot going on, okay? Right. Brand new E8, operations superintendent for the first time, managing risk on behalf of the uh, commander and director of operations in a high-risk organization. Right. Relatively new marriage, couple years old, two two babies under the age of two. The meter is low. The, the meter is already low. I didn't right at that time i had no awareness of the discipline meter right okay but i you know i had convinced myself that that was on that assignment i wanted to finish my master's degree and so um i started taking classes i knocked a few out and then the university i was going through started this new program called the fast track and all of a sudden, you can do a two-year master's degree in as little as 12 months if you took three classes at a time, Oof. okay? And I, and I looked at the, the goalpost and saw it go from two years to one year and said, I'll do anything it takes to, to get right. my master's done in the shortest amount of time possible. So I signed up and was doing three master's classes at the same time, okay? So what that meant was waking up at four o'clock in the morning in, in instantaneously going into academic mode and cranking out as much work as I possibly could in two hours. Right. Then going to work on my lunch breaks, I would go sit in my truck because yep. even if I shut my office door, people were always knocking. I would sit in my truck in the parking lot for an hour, write papers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Never stop. The meter's going further down, okay? And then they offered me a slot to go to Jasofsi, which was Joint Special Operations Forces Senior Enlisted Academy. Mm-hmm. And if you want to make chief, which I did, you can't say no. Right. So I said yes. So now I'm taking executive-level enlisted leadership courses on top of taking three master's classes at the same time on top of having a new marriage, two babies under the age of two, and and being a new E8 and an OPSU, okay? Yeah. At this point, PT had completely fallen by the wayside. Yeah. I was not exercising, okay? Which is ridiculous because I was managing an organization full of the military's fittest people. Right. But there just wasn't time for it. Right. And over the course of a couple of months, I gained about 15 pounds. Okay. 
Now, for some people, gaining 15 pounds, not a huge deal. But for you and me, who probably right. maintain our fighting weight within like 5 to 10% over the years, gaining 15 pounds means you're now at greater risk of injury, your mobility and flexibility start to decrease. And on, in the midst of all of this, our chief retires, and there's no chief inbound for over a year. And they asked mm. me to dual hat as the squadron superintendent and the operation superintendent. And of course I said, yes. Right. Yeah. So Good. now <laughs> I got a new marriage, two babies under the age of two, two jobs, three master's classes and Jasofsi all happening at once. And I am not exercising. I'm not stretching and I'm overeating. Right. Okay. Why am I, why am I overeating? By the way, this is very, very typical of people in that position because my discipline was very low. Right. I have no interest in get, counting macros anymore. If I see it, I eat it. I move on. Right. Okay? Yeah. Also at the time, totally abusing caffeine. Right. Okay. Massive, unnecessary amounts of caffeine, sleeping terribly. It all adds up right now. Mm -hmm organizationally what that did and it wasn't until the end of that assignment and actually a couple years after that i was able to reflect on this organizationally i knew at the time i didn't know what i know now but even then i knew that i was having a difficult time making risk-based decisions my my cognitive presence presence was not where it was. I wasn't sharp, and so even as an experienced jump master, guys were bringing me warning orders for airborne operations, and I was reading their risk management worksheets, and it wasn't clear to me how they were mitigating all of the risks. Right. Okay. And so what I started doing was I started creating new forms. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes that, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I started creating checklists and I would give them to the subordinate senior NCOs and company grade officers and say, before you bring a document to me for review, I need you to make sure that it's been vetted across all of these, this checklist. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I was doing was I was mitigating my own risk of making a bad decision by forcing other people to adhere to a checklist that I made because right. I identified that I was at risk of making a bad decision. Wow. And the reason was, in hindsight, of course, because my discipline meter was so low because of all these other things that was happening in my life. Right. The impact, very unfortunately, was that created some strained relationships between me and the other senior NCOs in the organization who truthfully were very experienced at what they were doing. Right. Right. I had guys who were telling me I got 300 jumps and I got 300 jump master duties. Right. Why are you nickel and diming me on this? You know, I'm the expert. Right. Right. I'm a JTAC evaluator for 15 right. years and never missed a single currency call. Why are you questioning my ability to oversee this CAS operation? 
It was my own shortcomings. Now, individually, physically, the next thing that happened, all of that added up. And Super Bowl Sunday that year, I woke up that morning. My daughter, who was just under two, dropped a hair tie on the ground. It was early in the morning. Amber was still sleeping. I was was in the living room. I bent over to pick up that hair tie and absolutely threw my back out. I from vertical to bent over to face down on the on the uh, floor. Probably six o'clock in the morning. I laid there until nine o'clock that night. Okay, all day. Absolute. And it just got worse. And as the day went on, the the you know, the spasms continued and my muscles locked up. and, And it was to the point where. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. You know, the whole time, Amber saying, I'm going to call 911. This is ridiculous. And I kept saying, no, I got, I just, I'm going to, I just need to stretch. I just kept, you know, I did not <laughs> want to submit. Like right. I refused. That's crazy. And so before she, you know, we had a, um, a physical therapist in the squadron at the time. He's great. He's a major. Mm-hmm. He was a doctor of physical therapy. I said, don't call 911. Call the call the squadron doc. And it's super now it's Super Bowl Sunday. The Super Bowl's on TV. He's such a nice guy. Amber called him and said, I don't know how else to describe this. Kevin's been laying face down on the ground for 15 hours. And he refuses to allow me to call 911. And so he came over and basically laid on the ground next to me and said, Hey man, you you are past the point of stretching this out. Okay, you you require professional pain intervention at this point. I'm now taking medical control of the situation. And if you need an officer to tell you what's happening next, I'm telling you I'm calling 911. And he did. And I took an ambulance ride to the hospital. I spent two days in there on pain, uh, you know, pain medications. And they sent me home. Eventually, I spent basically a week in bed recovering and then six to eight weeks of physical therapy. And part of that was revelatory for me because although it was physical therapy, I was spending time in the office with that physical therapist who was just a great man mm-hmm. and officer in general. And when the door was shut, he was kind of asking me what else was going on in life. And he helped me realize, man, you're pushing too hard in the saddle. Right. And, and this is what happens, you know? And so that's a very long answer to your question, Danny, but um, I have witnessed it. I have experienced it. And, right. and what I learned through that period of time was if I allow myself to operate at what I, it, what at a level that requires high levels of discipline when there isn't any there, I start to create risk in my own organization. Right. And in my own individual life, I create risks as well. Sometimes it is as simply uh, it, it simply manifests physically. Right. But at this point in my life, right, I'm a you know, now I have a seven year old and an eight year old. And, you know, you're in the same point, point of life right now. Very dynamic family. There's always something going on. You know what is not helpful to the La Liberté family? If I'm laying on the ground for 15 hours, 
and then right. spend the next week in bed. Okay. That's not helpful. Right. I can never allow that to happen again. Okay. I cannot tax my professional relationships and friendships by forcing people to fill out checklists that I made for myself when no one else in no one else uses those checklists except for me. Right. Okay. Um, I can never do that again. I've learned these things. And so now I'm, I protect my discipline more because I understand how important it is. No, I think it's really good. And, and what does it look like when you get to that nth degree of it, uh, just because you're pushing so hard? I mean, it, it's interesting to think about, you know, I, I think in the military, especially, and our communities, um, our community, uh, what does it look like when you break? You know, because we're all going to stretch each other with this adversity. But what does it look like when you break and how do you react and how do you how do you look back and learn, you know, from the moment that you were in, not with, you know, this hindsight bias, but how do you look back at the moment? And then I think like like you had having somewhere to to help you self-reflect during that period of like taking a knee essentially to be like, all right, <laughs> this maybe was a little too much. Maybe I had a little bit too much on my plate. Um no, that's really good. That's I think that's a really good example of what does it look like. Go ahead. The, the, the interesting thing is um, it takes, you know, this is full circle here. It takes discipline to admit when you're operating beyond your capacity. Right. It takes situational awareness to identify that. Okay. Um, and if somebody is incapable of identifying that, they're truthfully creating, they're a risk in themselves. Right. Okay? But if you have the self-awareness and situational awareness to identify that, it takes discipline to be the one who raises their hand and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring in some help here. Okay. Right. Or, or I'm going to call knock, I'm going to, I'm going to call knock it off or abort right now. Because I understand that this is um, not a safe environment, okay? Um, or what the second order effect of me continuing to operate like this is. Right. That's very hard for a lot of people to do because things like pride start to get in the way, okay? Um, um, I think as we get older, it becomes easier. I want to believe that. Uh, for me, it has. Right. Um, but in my own experience, what has been revelatory is, and I've heard other people say this, and I always thought, well, that's old guy talk, until all of a sudden it, I was experiencing it, and I went, oh, damn it, <laughs> it really is true. Or maybe that means I'm an old guy, but when I retired... Okay, like the day, I, like the day I was no longer in the military, I was far more willing to openly discuss all of my shortcomings while I was in the military. Mm. Okay, as as it benefits other people who can learn from those experiences, perhaps, um, or even you know maybe finally processing some things emotionally and cognitively that I always pushed aside. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I had heard guys say, you know, I, I have heard guys that you and I both know say things like, man, the last time I took my body armor off, it hit me like a brick wall, you know, and I didn't have that, um, you know, aha moment. But once I was no longer in the military, I realized I, I can only benefit from looking back and analyzing as much as possible. And there's really no negative repercussions of me discussing these things. Now, the silliest thing is, Danny, this is the silliest part of it. The things that I'm willing to talk about now and say, yeah, I did that. I messed that up, right? When you're, when you're going through jump master school, what do they teach you? If, if you, in the process of inspecting a jumper, create a deficiency, what's the most important thing you can do next? It's, yeah, call it, it out. Yeah, it's to call it out and say, "I did that." Okay. Right. Well, that that applies in area every area of our career in life. Mm -hmm. But the the unfortunate part is when you're competing for promotions, you're competing for advancement. There's a lot of times where we convince ourselves it it wouldn't be good for us to say, "I did that." Right. And once I retired, I was a lot more willing to talk to other people who are still in the military and say, man, I mess all kinds of things. If I mess things up that people didn't even know I messed up, but let right. me tell you, so maybe you can benefit from it. And the response I got was, man, I wish I had known that while you were still in the military, right? I had, when I was on uh, terminal leave, you know, I had a, a commander call and ask me to be his uh, command chief. And I said, I'm on terminal leave right now. And by the way, I messed a whole bunch of things up. I don't think I'm the guy that you would want in that position. That's a strategic level position. He said, the fact that you're willing to say those things is exactly why I want you in this position. Is there any way I could get you to cancel your retirement? Okay. And at that point it was too late, but it, be, it, it, be, it was very revealing to me that I probably should have been more open about certain things. And had more of a capacity to publicly um, um, discuss my own shortcomings while I was in the military. No, I think it's really good, and I think it, it, it's. I think the older you get, like kind of you were describing, the easier it is to identify those moments. But I, uh, but I don't know that it's easier to do it. It's just easier to see when it needs to happen. You yeah, still gotta have the courage. To, yeah, it takes discipline, like you were saying. You still gotta have the courage to step out and say, "Okay, I see it." At least it takes courage. That's right. Courage, right. you know, has a, a a natural relationship with discipline as well. Mm -hmm. There's there's times where we know uh, something needs to get done, um, but it it may take courage to do it. You know, courage is different than discipline. Um, sometimes. It doesn't take a lot of discipline. It just takes courage, right? I, I was deployed in Iraq at one point um, at the time with the 3rd Ranger Battalion, and I watched a guy who's now an Army CSM jump on a hand grenade, okay? He was a team leader at the time moving towards the enemy with, with – he was an E5 moving towards the enemy with several uh, subordinate Rangers, and, and the guy, the enemy who they were engaging – had a hand grenade, pulled the pin and was running at them. He ran at him, bear hugged this guy, took him to the ground and took the hand grenade in his chest. Is yeah, that crazy? Is, 
it's crazy. You know what that takes? It takes courage. Yeah. Okay. Did he want to jump on that hand grenade? <laughs> Probably not. Right. Okay. But did he see it as his exclusive responsibility at that in that moment? Yep. And he did it. Okay. But it also takes discipline because an undisciplined person very easily could have ran in the other direction. Okay. That hand grenade didn't go off on his back. It went off in his chest. And that says a lot about that individual. Yeah. And I think the willingness to sacrifice yourself, uh, especially in those moments for your brothers and, you know, sisters in arms. Um, there's a lot of glory in that type of sacrifice that it, it's tough to understand, you know, when you develop those close relationships and like, like you're saying that the courage and the discipline and that, you know, light switch decision, um, almost is probably, I'm sure for him was probably premeditated, you know, where he's like, if, if I get into this situation, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to save those around me. And, and that's it. And so I'm sure he'd already made that decision ahead of time. And then he had the discipline to act on it, you know, in that light switch moment. I, I, I would, I don't know, but that, but that's how I imagine it. Yes, you're exactly right. Cause think about what we do in the military. This is a risk discussion. We identify, this is very useful outside the military, by the way, because not all organizations operate this way. When we're going to do an operation, we identify all of the risk associated from start to finish. What could go wrong? And then we put risk mitigation strategies in place to prevent those things from happening or uh, decreasing the chances of them happening to a point where ultimately the commander can approve the operation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there are certain things that we know are risky and take a high level of discipline to execute because our minds, okay, without discipline would not naturally accomplish them. And these are things that we train via repetition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Think about as a PJ, what's the, what's the first thing that you have to, you know, I'm not a medic, but I basically know how to say this out loud enough for it to be basically accurate. What's the first thing that you need to consider in battlefield medicine before you can even start treating a friendly casualty? Yeah, I mean, typically... Uh, it's the threat. Yeah, it's threats. Yeah, it's Retur return fire. Yeah. yeah, return fire. That's exactly right. You know, Danny's wounded on the ground. Kevin runs up on him. Well... If I immediately start working on you before returning fire, now I can become a casualty too, and that's not good for anybody. Is it our human nature to run over and lay on top of somebody who just got shot in the same exact spot, lay on top of them and return fire? No, it's, that's not natural. Okay, that's fight or flight. Okay, but we know that, and so we train to it. We train it to such repetition that when it happens you just do it right that's discipline okay um and i think that outside beyond the military we can be very useful to uh, in a lot of environments in helping identify risk build those strategies to mitigate it and create 
training plans and repetitions to prepare people to face it when the time comes. Right. And I think uh, to your point, I mean, uh, the lie that you'll hear people say uh, that may lack the discipline to do it is they'll be like, oh, well, I'll just rise to the occasion in this situation. And me and you have both been in combat and multiple deployments. That's not how it works. You don't rise to your situation. You fall to your level of training and really you fall below what you've been trained to do. I mean, anybody that's been in a combat threat situation knows um, you don't just show up on game day and throw the winning catch. You practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it. And then you're going to miss two shots and make one um, on game day. And it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to fall below that training level. And the only way to mitigate it is, yeah, you're, you're training ahead of time religiously, uh, you know, relentlessly. And then you, you get in the moment and, and you act, you know, May it maybe hero- you act heroically, but because you've been trained and you've decided ahead of time, you've pre-decided that that is what you're going to do, and then you have the discipline and courage to follow through. So I think That's really exactly. good. Um, so as a so as a former chief uh, and you know current successful leader with where you're going um, with your consultancy, how do you view your role as a disciplinarian versus how you discipline yourself? Because sometimes I think it's difficult for us to come into someone else's life that we may be in charge of and say, Hey, I know I've screwed this up in the past, but you're screwing it up now. And even though I've screwed up in the past, I, it's my responsibility, you know, to insert that self-discipline on you or to teach you self-discipline. So eventually when I'm not here, you'll still do it. So how do, how do you, how do you nest those two ideas? Cause sometimes I think it's tough for people. It is. Um, so as I, discussed with you i you know one of my skills i don't have a lot of hard skills right like i'm not a carpenter i'm not an artist um but one of my skills is i am very disciplined okay high levels of discipline um very good time management and it might sound silly but outside the military even very successful leaders struggle in these exact areas. Um, I have learned over time, 23 years in the military, to compartmentalize a lot of things, sometimes literally through special access programs, okay? Um, I was, when I was uh, in different parts of my career, I was parts of special access programs, which meant I knew information that only certain people knew. And there were times when I was in a room with other people who were asking questions that I had the answer to, but I was charged from a classification perspective to not answer those because if I did, it would reveal that I was part of a program that they didn't know I was in. Right. That takes discipline. Okay. Because the people asking the questions are good military people that work for me. Mm-hmm. And it would seem reasonable to just give them the answer. Right. But for security purposes, I was unable to do that. But that trained me in such a way to compartmentalize certain things. And what that allows me to do is when I make a decision to do something, I very simply do it. Okay. There might be other reasons why um, I could not do it. 
or I could later say why it didn't get done, but I don't allow those to cloud my judgment and I very simply do it. And I think that's very critical. Um, now, the challenge then becomes um, identifying that that's my own standard. Mm-hmm. If I expect everyone else to meet those same standards, I can create my own misery. Right. I can create my own failed expectations if I believe that other people are going to approach the same environment with the same level of discipline. And if they don't, and then I become disappointed in them, whose fault is that really? Okay. If they did not indicate to me that they were going to approach it with that level of discipline, but I thought they would and they didn't, whose fault is it when they don't? Really, it's mine. And the challenge that I've learned I, uh, to manage over time is setting uh, reasonable expectations. And that can be done effectively by having good and accurate conversations with people up front about expectations. Uh, but if you don't do that, because it's not always as clear as it is in the military. In the military, you have manuals, you have instructions, you have standards standard operating procedures, annual reports, midterm feedbacks. There's no shortage of recognizable, readable standards that everybody knows exist. Well, outside the military where those don't exist, if you don't discuss them up front, you can create your own misery if you have expectations of other people doing things the same way you do them. Okay, in this case, I'm talking about myself. And so from a, as a disciplinarian, um, what I try to do is um, identify everything that is going to be done as much as possible in advance, full scope of work on whatever the, is being accomplished. And the standards, that includes communication standards, uh, that includes budget standards, timeline standards, schedule standards, risk standards, uh, acquisition standards, all of these different areas, the more the better. And then establishing those and then very simply adhering to them, but also recognizing that truthfully, uh, most people are not, may not meet those. And then I have to have a little bit of grace and I have to make a decision. What do I want to do here? Do I want to rub their nose in it? What's the advantage of that? Is it beneficial? Is this a teaching point? Is it my position to teach them? If it's not, perhaps then I just draw attention to the fact that we're not where we said we would be and focus on the solution to get us where we need to be. Okay? Because we're not, you know, when you and I were military instructors, it was actually probably a really easy job. We were managing extreme levels of risk on a day-to-day basis. But our approach to execution was very easy because everything was black and white. Everything. Okay? Nobody sat around and, you know, negotiated 
on what sort of equipment they were going to jump out of the plane with. Right. It was black and white. Mm -hmm. Nobody got to uh, negotiate, you know, how long they were going to be um, underwater for. Nope. That was that's predetermined. You plan it based on your equipment (laughs) and you stick to the plan. Okay, it's black and white. Not everything in life is black and white, though. And so that's the challenge is um, identifying individual standards and having reasonable expectations on how other people may meet those. And be having basically the professional grace with people when they might not. Because you can't hammer other people. If you just walk around hammering other people in the business world, there won't be a lot of business left to do. No, I think it's really good. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I wrote down right before you said it was just expectations as I heard you talking about it. Because that's like my upfront, hey, starting block. Let me get expectations from my boss. Let me give expectations, you know, to the teams that I'm running and, you know, the ADO and the SARM folks and, you know, I mean, you know what it's like to be an operations superintendent, you know, so, but let me, let me tell people around me what I expect of them and then let me get their expectations. So now we can kind of start that relationship, um, work relationship and, and, and start it off on the right foot. And, and the, I try to almost move away from the term to like a relationship goal. Like, hey, this is our <laughs> this is our relationship. This is our work relationship goal. So that you guys know what I'm thinking and it's open for discussion, you know, if I if I'm put in a position of authority, then ultimately I get to decide, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. And it just helped me at least, you know, kind of get to that mental space where we can have a conversation about expectations that's realistic. And it's a departure point to point back to, right? Hey, there's a discrepancy in your performance. I trust that you're doing the right thing. However, this is where we started. Are we missing the marker? You know, what is the context in your life that I that I'm not seeing so that you can reinforce the discipline of what you know those work relationship expectations roles responsibilities are and i think you you hit the nail on the head with that one yeah a big part of that is communication too you know back to the hammer when you and i were first working together you can probably remember that my my reputation then which i was probably not really aware of at the time which is unfortunate was that i i was i was the hammer that okay i was the guy that expected everybody to meet the standard every time and if you didn't there was punishment to be had okay um now in hindsight you know if 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 chief la liberté was looking in on that situation i would have said this guy's a this guy's a Brand new master sergeant who just did seven combat deployments in seven years with the Ranger Regiment, which is basically the most violent organization in the world, focused on um, extreme levels of readiness and combat effectiveness. He probably needs to be put in a position to just cool off. Like there needs to be a cool off period. And I think we've, I think the military's gotten better about this since then, by the way. You know, this was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably should have been put in timeout for a little while to say, like, you're, dude, you just, you've had your foot on the gas for se- seven deployments in seven years. You need to go chill out. What you should not be 
is in charge of an entire phase of training in the special operations pipeline where you're managing 12 subordinate instructors and 25 new students every two months that are executing extremely high risk training. Okay. But I did. And, you know, I, I know I would never say no. I probably needed someone to grab me and say, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to be in charge of this temporarily. But the way I coped with that was I, everything had to be done in accordance with the manual and instruction every single time. And if it wasn't, it was wrong and there was punishment to be had. And you can probably look back and remember, you know, you being in that environment. Mm -hmm. It was it, what it meant was I was not as effective as I could have been, but it's the best I had at that time. Um, and it's a shame and you're not able, you're not always able to reflect on those things until later in life. But I think um, from a you know, the reason why I brought that up from a communications perspective is. Um, Back then, all my conversations started with you. Okay, this is like base. You know, you, you, if you ever go to a marriage retreat, they yeah, always say, "I feel." I yes, that's exactly. I feel. Right. Never start a conversation with you because what does it do? It puts the other person on the defense. Right. But if you don't care, because you're the one in charge, you can do it all you want, and that's what I did back then. I would say, right? We would go out and we would. We would do an airborne operation all day and the students would have deficiencies in their rigging. And, you know, at the end of the night, I would line them up. It's been a long day. Any, everyone's probably been training for 12 or 14 hours as it is. The last thing they need is to be put in formation and have me walking up and down saying, you had deficiencies in your equipment today and you were responsible for that and you failed to rig properly after you were given a point of instruction on how to do it correctly. And because of that, you are now going to get smoked. That's not great, but that's where I was at the time. Okay. Um, now, what would have been a more effective method of communicating that I've learned over time was exactly, you're exactly right. It's I. Okay. Now you could get the same, uh, um, point across by saying, you know, I am in a position where I gentlemen am managing an airborne operation and I experienced a large volume of deficiencies in your, in, in rigging today. As a result, I was forced to manage a very demanding timeline because of that, because I had to spend time fixing deficiencies in rigging after I gave the class. Now, I believe that that means I did a poor job of teaching you. I did a poor job of teaching rigging. And as a result, I experienced a high number of deficiencies and I was forced to uh, manage things under time constraints. Does anybody have any ideas on how I can be better tomorrow? Now, I like to think back then that the students would have empathized and said, 
we're really sorry. That'll never happen again. We screwed up. There are probably a couple students that had that maturity, but some of them probably also would have said, I don't care. And I just want to go to bed, right? right? And it would be a soup sandwich the next day too. But would it have um, nurtured a better relationship between me and the students then if I had presented it that way? I think the answer is yes. Mm. Okay. Because unfortunately, as the hammer, I had a very standoffish, standoffish relationship with most of the students who were coming through. And it didn't need to be that way. And it limited my effectiveness because when I look back on it then, if I look back and I go, I did seven combat deployments in seven years. You know how much experience I had garnered in a short amount of time? Yeah. But most of the students were totally uninterested in that because I turned them off as the hammer. Waste. I wasted a lot there, Danny. Like I, I could have been way better. I could have been a, a more effective supervisor, more effective instructor, all of it. If I had been a better communicator, knowing then what I know now, of course, right? We mm. all wish that. Um, and, and frankly, I had been more disciplined in my own emotion, delivery, self-awareness, analysis, all of those things. But that's why it's important now, I realize this, to have very strong um, and open relationships, as you discussed, and mentors. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about that back then, by the way. 12 years ago, you and I were not sitting around talking about mentors. Right. If we did, if anybody walked in our office and said, do you all want to develop some mentorship opportunities? We probably all would have thrown things at him and said, get out of here. Right. Okay. We got other things to do today. Um, but the reality is now I understand how absolutely critical it is to have mentors. And I have mentors in all different areas of my life. I seek mentors. When there's something I want to accomplish now, I now have the uh, uh, um, um, ability to reach out to someone, the humility to reach out to somebody and say, I want to be where you are. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee and ask you about how you've gotten to where you are? Every single time people say yes, unless they see you as a threat and that you're going to be future competition in whatever area you're discussing, people jump at the opportunity. People are generally good and they say, yes, I'd love to. Absolutely. I'm paying, by the way. Right. Um, I didn't do that back then. None of us did. Now I do, and I encourage as many other people to as possible. No, I think it's really good. Um, and I, well, let me try to use my eye words. I think you might be being too tough on young Kevin. I don't remember him being all that tough. And I think we softened you up, you know, endo boards. You had some 12 ounce curls and some of the debriefs. So, yeah, it's right here. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I think it's good. I think it's good to look back at those moments and, and, and wonder, you know, how I can do better, you know, and self-reflect. And I, and I'm sure you had a ton of good lessons learned, but I'm sure that a lot of the, you know, students needed that imposed discipline, uh, that you gave them at that time in their lives, especially going into, uh, at the time, I mean, we we're going into, you know, peak 
peak fighting seasons in Iraq and Afghanistan, and those guys are getting into it, and they they're coming out with silver stars, you know, and doing heroic things, and 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 if they had not been had that discipline, because we remember what it was like to be, you know, young and dumb and, and, and invincible. You know, it was good to have discipline. I was, I very appreciated the discipline that was imposed on me, not only by you, but in the STS world in general. Um, but yeah, just really appreciate it. So don't be too hard on young Kevin. And, you know, he was doing the best he could <laughs> with the information he could. Well, you, you're, you're able to say that, Danny, because even then, um, you had such a residually high level of discipline that, you know, me lining guys up and hammering them probably registered on your radar, but you had been smoked at so many times throughout your career that it wasn't a big deal to you. Now, you bring a couple of 30-year-old businessmen in and you allow them to just watch us debrief a bad student class after an entire day of airborne operations. And they might look at it and go, this is crazy. This is a hostile environment. These people are, uh, this is, (laughs) this is bullying. This is, this is extreme. And, and back then we would say, no, it's not. This is the norm. Okay. Because to your point, we're not training these students to go sell insurance. We're training them to go on the battlefield six months from now. Right. And you and I have had students who we put through the pipeline and six months, 12 months later, they were being awarded silver stars for hero- heroic action on the battlefield. You and I very unfortunately had students who we put through the pipeline who months, years later were killed in action. Right. Okay. And it um, concretes the um, um, level of operations that we were preparing them for. Right. Yeah. And I even had a strange experience where I picked up a student off the battlefield. So that was, they've been shot through like, I won't say his name, but that was pretty wild. Yes. I mean, full circle. Yeah, he was grabbing on my uniform. He was like, hey, man, I know you. And I was like, I don't think so. You've been shot through the leg. You're on a bunch of ketamine. And he was like, no, I seriously. He's like, I had you as an instructor. I looked down <laughs> and he's missing a toe. And it kind of reminded me of a story he told, you know, as when he was a student. And I was like, oh, man, I, I did have you as a student. Super sorry you're shot. It was an awkward moment. <laughs> I was like, it looks like a through and through. I think you're going to be okay. That is remarkable. Another yeah. time I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, it, was, it was a while, but, but to your point, let me bring the, bring it back. Um, you know, we don't, we didn't know what they were getting into. It was fighting season. These guys were going out and doing heroic things and, you know, we were trying to do the best with what we could, you know, to discipline at the moment, right. but it's a really important idea, but yeah, there's, there's, there's uh better and best ways to do it. And I think you helped describe the best ways to do it with, with all of your hindsight and lessons learned that you have now. So sort of leaning into the wrap up, uh, cause we've talked about a really, a bunch of really important, um, topics and ideas and, and information surrounding the topic. Uh, what advice can you offer to people who are struggling in this area? Or if you had like one of your, uh, you know, 15 good points that you've mentioned during the duration, what can you give our listeners to sort of take home and anything that's portable or, or, or maybe the biggest ideas, final reattacks? 
Here's what I would say about discipline. Um, it, it's not about you. Um, making undisciplined decisions is selfish. It's, it's actually reckless. If, you're, if it's five o'clock in the afternoon and you know your discipline is gone and you allow yourself to be in an environment or position where you're still making decisions, that's reckless, okay? Um, if you know you're going to go home at the end of the day to your spouse and kids and it's going to take some discipline to enjoy the few hours you may have with them before bedtime and the next day begins, it's selfish of you if you allow all your discipline to be used up and have none left over when you get home at the end of the day, okay? You walk in the door, your kid brings something to you and you tell your kid to, t to you yell at your kid or tell your kid not now. You think your kid cares if you were in meetings all day and you had an unsavory conversation? You think your kid cares about what took your discipline all day? They don't. They care that dad just yelled at them and told them not now. That's selfish. And so what I would say is don't look at discipline as um, a luxury. You can look at it as a resource, but you have to look at it as a responsibility. Because no one is going to do it for you. No one is going to give you more discipline. No one is going to tell you to manage it. But if you don't identify that and you don't do it well, all of these other important areas of your life are going to suffer. The people that matter to you the relationships that you're a part of, the responsibilities that you're in charge of. They'll all suffer if you're not good and you don't manage discipline appropriately. And so look at it as selflessness, okay? It's not about you. If you want to be a good person, be disciplined. No, I think it's really good. Um discipline and how we use it is just really important. And I think you brought up some really good points on work discipline versus personal discipline versus discipline, you know, to control our emotions and really get after what we value most in life, uh, oftentimes in our family. And sometimes, you know, we can put in the back burner for the mission, you know, which is kind of ingrained in us. And, and so having the discipline to, to save some of that energy for our families is really important. So, well, Kevin, I appreciate uh, you being on the podcast today. Uh, I'm, thank you uh, for your leadership and mentorship and for your friendship. And I'm really excited uh, to see uh, your company and personal uh, business grow and to see where you go next. And, and hopefully we can just continue to stay in touch. Well, same, of course, man. As we all know, leadership goes in all directions. And, you know, even in while while I may have been um, in the position at the time, I learned a lot um, from working with you and all the other guys also, you know, not just professionally. I mean, you know, there were days where we, we would go out surfing together. And, and truthfully, I probably had no business being in the water on really stormy days. But the only reason why I did, because I, I had the confidence that you were there and I knew Danny's going to rescue me. If, if something goes wrong, I know Danny's got me. OK, but that gave me a lot of confidence that, um, you know, um, I benefited from. So um, thank you for all the same things. And uh, I'm excited to see what you continue to do with this great podcast. 
uh, in the future as you transition out of the military and all your successes as a civilian as well. And, and what we need to do at some point is, you know, maybe flip the script if you have, uh, you know, a week or, or a podcast um, opportunity where one of us can interview you about your experiences as well. I'd love to see that because you're, you ask a lot of really great questions, but you're full of really great knowledge and experiences that everyone would benefit from hearing also. No, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on uh, if you have the time and, and yeah, I'll give you a list of questions or give you a topic and you can provide a list of questions. I think that'd be great. I'd love to share some stories and, you know, uh, be on the other side of the fence. So yes, that's exactly right. All right, brother. Thank you uh, for this opportunity and your valuable time as well. All right. Thank you. I want to say a quick thank you to all the listeners out there. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. I know I learned a ton about uh, discipline talking to Kevin. If you have any questions or you want to reach out to Kevin, I'll make sure to leave his uh, contact information down in the description. And I hope everyone has a good day over and out.